0: I'm thankful to be able to come and preach to you this morning. If you're wondering where Pastor Tim is, I guess it's no secret anymore. They've been how many of you knew about the secret? It's amazing if it even stayed a secret, I guess. Um, The Baileys are out of town. They've uh, contrived a surprise party for Mary Lee Bailey in Kentucky. And the whole family converged on this house in Kentucky. And Mary Lee was taken there with uh, no prior knowledge of what was happening to find. And I haven't heard how it went, so... That's what's going on with the Baileys. It's a celebration of a significant birthday for her. If you see her, say, say happy 20th birthday, and she'll be very glad. So that's where the Baileys are. They should be back with us in uh, the week to come. So this morning I want to start off by us turning to Mark chapter 9 and reading the account of the healing of the demonized child. And I want us to give particular attention to what the Father says to Jesus concerning his own faith as we read this. And that's going to confuse you because that's just the one verse that we're going to concentrate on. But I'm going to read you some more verses. So if you'll just follow with me in your Bibles or listen, if that's better for you. Mark 9, starting in verse 14. When they came to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them. And some scribes arguing with them. Immediately when the entire crowd saw him, that is Jesus, they were amazed and began running up to greet him. And he asked them, what are you discussing with them? And one of the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought you my son possessed with a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and stiffens out. I told your disciples to cast it out and they could not do it. And he answered them and said, O unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. They brought the boy to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion, and falling to the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. And he, that is Jesus, asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. It has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. After crying out and throwing him into terrible convulsions, it came out, and the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him, and he got up. When he came into the house, his disciples began questioning him privately. Why could we not drive it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. So this man came to Jesus and he told him the story of his son's life. And he was desperate. He had come to the disciples, and you can imagine that if his son had experienced this from childhood, that the man was desperate for anything to help. I mean, can you imagine constantly watching your child, protecting your child against open flames and protecting your child against water, protecting your child against anything sharp as your child would be thrown into these convulsions by this demonic spirit. And so he came to Jesus and he said, I ask your disciples, but they couldn't do it, if you can do anything. If you can do anything. And Jesus responds... I think, if we're going to understand the inflection right of, with a question, he responds, if you can do anything. He's, he's looking at the man and saying, you're, he's not saying it this way, I'm sorry, but you have to kind of understand, you're talking to me? This is God, God incarnate. If you can do anything. Jesus says, "All things are possible to those who believe and believe." And the man said, uh, "I do believe. Help my unbelief. Help my unbelief." The man was involved in a personal challenge, a personal challenge to his faith concerning who Jesus was and what he could do, and whether this man could do anything for his son. A personal challenge to a believer's faith. I think, personally, that any circumstance or challenge that causes us to ask the question, do I believe in God, is a challenge to our faith. And I don't mean necessarily a threat to our faith, I mean a challenge to our faith. And you might say, well, why didn't you ask the question, or why didn't you say that the challenging question is, do I believe in what God has said? Why did I go right to the point of saying, do I believe in God? Why didn't I just say, well, do I believe in what God has said? Well, I don't think, do I believe in what God has said, is the foundational question. We often all ask ourselves that question, don't we? We're often asking ourselves if we believe what God has said. We read it in the Word. We need to take action. And so we'll say, well, do I believe what God has said here? But if you stop and you think about it for a while, there is a prerequisite to believing what God has said, isn't there? There is something foundational that rests underneath or that upon which that rests. And that foundational thing is that we believe in God. Hebrews 11.6 says that without faith it is impossible to please Him for the man or he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. He who comes to God must believe that He is. It's the foundational belief. So when we're faced with substantial challenges to our faith, the rock-bottom question that we face is, do I believe? in God. Some of you know this past spring I was in Florida with some other men and that we were at the site of the uh, horrible starvation, dehydration of Terry Schiavo. Do you remember that happening this past spring? And we were at that site. Some of you know who she was. She was a disabled woman and the uh, Courts actually ordered that she be dehydrated and starved to death, and it was done in Florida right around the time of Easter. Some of you know that while I was there, I was arrested because of my protest of what was happening, that I, I wrote some thoughts I had about that arrest, and they were put on the Bailey blog. If you know, Tim Bailey has a website blog that he and his brother run. And you might have read those thoughts about me and the thoughts I had about being inconvenienced as a disciple of Christ. But I want you to—I t- want to tell you this morning about some other thoughts in conjunction or in connection with the idea of your faith being challenged. Some other thoughts I was thinking at the time when I had decided to be arrested. I was—I was, I was uh, ending a process of a long series of thoughts that started with the thought of whether I would even go to Florida to to think about doing any kind of protesting at all. And At that beginning, at that very beginning time, when I was thinking about going to Florida, I was having thoughts about what would I do, what would I do, what would I do, and my thoughts would go, but what has God said, has God said, has God said, and then my thoughts would go, but do I believe, do I believe, do I believe. That's what happens with us, particularly in critical times and decisions we have to make in our lives. Do I believe in God? Because if I believe in God, then I must do this. But do I want to do this if I don't believe in God? And you can say, "Well, it's your own lack of faith." And I say, "Well, yeah, I have little faith." And you can say, "Well, it's your own carnality," and I, I can say, "Yeah, I'm a sinner." And you can say, "Well, it's Satan and he's tempting you." And I'd say, "Yeah, that's that's absolutely true." But the question. All of those things are are thoughts about it that may be true, but the reality of the question is still the reality. The challenge is still a challenge, and we still have to take action, don't we? So I was in Pinellas Park, and I was thinking about my faith as I was thinking about going and crossing the, the police line. And the accusation was right there in front of my mind Boy, you're a fool to do this. You're a fool. Because I have a lot of fears. What were some of my fears, do you suppose? Well, I'm, a fear, I'm afraid of looking like a fool. I'm afraid when there's a whole lot of cameras on the other side of the street and a lot of people standing in and opposing you, I'm afraid of doing something that I know they'll think is foolish. That's a fear I have. I also have a fear of financial loss. I knew that there would be some financial uh, Loss from being in Florida, some financial loss from being arrested, from getting out of jail. I knew that that would be the case. That wasn't a huge fear on my mind, but it was a fear. I have a fear of the unknown. I. How many of you have been arrested before? Okay, let's use. uh, Let's. Let's use. Everybody who's been arrested, stay seated. I had some fear of the unknown in the process. I had some fear of crossing in opposition to a bunch of men who were carrying tasers and guns and who had big German shepherds standing with them. I had some general fear there as well. But we must always prioritize our fears, mustn't we? Do you know that you do this? You always prioritize your fears. If you don't, you should. Probably you do it unconsciously but it is a biblical practice actually Luke 12 verses 4 to 6 are familiar to most of us they say I say to you my friends do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do but I warn you whom you to, who but I will warn you whom to fear fear the one who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell yes I tell you fear him Now, who is that talking about? It's talking about God. And what he's saying is, he's saying, prioritize your fears. Get your fears in order. Okay, I fear looking foolish. I fear financial loss. I fear the unknown. I fear dogs and guns. But I fear God. I really fear God. And so I can go with that and make a decision of faith, even when my faith is challenged. If you think about Isaiah and Isaiah chapter 50, starting with verse four, I'm sorry, verse five, Isaiah says, "The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not disobedient, nor did I turn back." He says, "I gave my back to those who strike me, and my cheeks to those who pluck out my beard, I did not cover my face from humiliation and spitting." This is Isaiah. I, I obeyed God. I did all of these things. And then he says in verse 10, Who is among you that fears the Lord? And in the next chapter, verse 7, he's just following in, in consequence. He says, Listen to me, you who know righteousness, a people whose heart is my law. This is God speaking. Do not fear the reproach of man, nor be dismayed at their revilings. For the moth will eat them like a garment and the grub will eat them like wool. But my righteousness will be forever and my salvation to all generations. Isaiah knew that he could give his face to be slapped and his back to be beaten and his beard to be pulled and he could allow people to spit in his face because he had his priorities in line. He knew who God was. He knew that God was the one who had final say in everything and who he would stand before. And so everything else fell under that priority. Was it painful? Yes. Was it difficult? Yes. Was he challenged? Yes. But he was obedient. He met the challenge of faith. That which we fear most will hold sway over our decisions. That which we fear most will guide our decisions. If we're most afraid of people, then people will determine what we do, what we decide to do. If we're most afraid of financial consequence, then everything we do will be a matter of financial the financial bearing on our lives. Right? If we're afraid of the unknown, boy, we're in big trouble. Because there's a lot of that out there, right? Whenever we ask ourselves if we believe God, we're also asking ourselves to understand our fear of Him. Our fear and our belief going together. Every revelation we have in His Word speaks of His character and His justice and informs us of how we are to look to God. Romans one twenty says, For since the creation of the world... His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse, meaning us. Men are without excuse. Even without the Bible, that's what Romans is saying, even without the Bible, we have no excuse. We have enough in creation to say that we better acknowledge God. And that we better acknowledge God over everything else. This is the faith challenge and this is where the burden of it all lies. What do I mean by that? Well, there's a burden that we see immediately when our faith is challenged. And the burden that we see is, I can't do it. If you're talking about going to Pinellas Park, or if you're talking about giving money to the building campaign, or if you're talking about disciplining your children like we want to learn on how to love our children and win their hearts at the TED, Ted trip conference. If you're talking about what? You think about it. What, what, what is it? What's a challenge to you? Talking to the men at work and telling them that you're a Christian and you just think, oh, I can't do it. That's a burden. That's too much. That's too much. It's like saying, well, all you need to do is believe, right? Just believe. That's what they tell you on preacher television. Just believe and write the check. Going on to Mark chapter 10, do you know what happens? After the exchange with the man whose son was healed, Going on in the next chapter, you have some other things happen. In verse 13 to 15, they bring the children to Jesus and, he, and they are rebuking the children and the parents saying, you can't do that. And Jesus said, no, to be one in my kingdom, you have to be as this little child. And then a significant thing happens. This young man comes running up to Jesus and he kneels in front of him and he says, Mark 10, verse 17, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And the young man said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth up. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, One thing you lack. Go and sell all you possess and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. But at these words he was saddened. And he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. And Jesus, looking around, said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. And his disciples were amazed, it said, when he said that. Why were they amazed? Well, they saw the man, right? They were there. And the man said, well, I've done that, and I've done that, and I've done that, and I've done that. And Jesus didn't dispute that, he'd, that he had been obedient to all those other things, did he? And Jesus says, now go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And the man said, and he walked away. And the disciples, Jesus said, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples are amazed. Why? They're tripping. All of their circuits are breaking. And they're saying, This guy was pretty good. He was pretty good. I don't think I could say those things to you. And after all of that, you say, How hard it is for a man to enter the kingdom of God? He was pretty good. In a crowd, he'd probably score for it pretty well. Jesus goes on and he said, "It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God." And they were even more astonished, it says. And they said to him, "Who can be saved?" Why were they more astonished? This is the burden that I'm talking about that happens to us at the challenge of our faith when we say, "Oh, I have to believe." And that's what they were saying. They were astonished. Their faith was challenged. They were saying, "Who can, who can believe? Who can be saved? Who can carry this burden?" What was the rich man's crisis? Was it a crisis of, uh, was it a crisis of love? Yes. Was it a crisis of obedience? Yes. Was it a crisis of faith? Have you ever thought that the rich man's problem was the problem of faith? Have you ever thought that before? That the rich man didn't have enough faith? 1 John 5.3 says, For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. Okay, well, it wasn't just a crisis of love. He didn't just love money more than Jesus. It was a crisis of obedience. Okay. He didn't keep the commandments. Jesus gave him a commandment and He said, no, I can't do it. Hebrews three, eighteen and 19 say, speaking of the children of Israel wandering in the wilderness, and to whom did He swear that they would not enter His rest, but to those who were disobedient? So t- see to it that you were not... See- So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. Okay, it was a crisis of love. He didn't love Jesus enough. He loved money more. Okay, it was a crisis of obedience because Jesus gave him a command and he did not obey. Okay, it was a crisis of faith because disobedience is always a matter of unbelief. And the reason why Israel didn't enter God's promised land with with Moses is because they had disobeyed and they had been unbelieving as a people. And so every crisis we have comes to the point of belief. No love, no obedience, no faith. He lacked faith. And the disciples were amazed and they were even more astonished. And they asked the question, who can be saved? Who can have this love, this obedience, this faith? Who can possibly have this? It's a burden, don't you feel it? When you hear the law of God, when you understand what He requires of us, don't you feel that? Coming down on you like a weight? But the wonderful thing is Jesus' response to them. Do you remember His response? Verse 27, Looking at them, Jesus said, with people, it is impossible. But not with God. For all things are possible with God. 1 John 5 3, I read just a few minutes ago, says, For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. Do you know what the rest of the verse says? And his commandments are not burdensome, because he makes it possible. What was Isaiah's solution in chapter 50 and 51 that I read earlier? When they were plucking out his beard and beating his back, spitting in his face, what did he say? In verse 7, For the Lord God helps me, therefore I am not disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Who will contend with me? Verse 9, Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who is he who condemns me? Verse 10, Who is among you that fears the Lord? Isaiah had his priorities, and he knew that his ability to love, to obey, to have faith, came from God empowering him to do what he needed to do. And so we have this father in Mark chapter 9 and he comes to Jesus and he says, I believe. Help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. I can't do it. Help my unbelief. If you read on in that chapter, Jesus talks about the costs of discipleship. He tells about his own death that's coming. His disciples start arguing about who's greatest. He says, Well, you know, if you want to sit on my right hand, you have to be able to drink the cup that I drink. They said, We'll do that. He said, Yeah, you will. You'll do that. They didn't have a clue at that point what he meant, but absolutely they would do what he, what he had to do. And they would do it because God would make it possible. With man, it's not possible. With God, all things are possible. How often do we face these faith challenges? Well, we face them every day. Every day we have some call to obedience from God and we are looking to Him to seek Him to make the impossible things possible. Sometimes we do it unconsciously. Sometimes we do it consciously. But it's happening. It's happening in our lives every day if we're following Christ, if we are a disciple of Jesus. We have to look to God for Him to do the work we can't do and to take us through what we can't walk through ourselves. What are some of our common challenges? Well, I mentioned earlier confessing Christ to other people. And this really tests our reputations when we want to tell other people about Jesus. Because we risk their scorn, we risk their rejection. It's risky to our relationships, but we, re- we prioritize. I fear God more than man. God is more important than my reputation. We prioritize. And so we start t- talking to people about Jesus, you know, in the uh, lunchroom and in the carpool. Jesus says, Uh, Everyone who confesses me before men, I will confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But if you don't confess me before men, I'll deny you before God as well. Stephen and I went to visit a man in the hospital this week, Pastor Baker. We went to visit a man who had had open heart surgery. He's laying there in the bed. He's pretty weak and he's got tubes coming out, you know. And uh, I'm standing there and I'm looking at this guy and I'm thinking, you know, I think I could take him. That's how weak he was, and then at the same time I'm reduced to jello at the thought that I'm I'm needing to tell this man about Jesus, and I have a crisis of faith. So Pastor Baker he starts with an eloquent you know dissertation on faith. I'm just kidding. He started talking, and pretty soon I started talking, and we started telling this man about God. His righteousness, his, his expectation of men, sin, judgment, and the gospel. And we pray with the man, and, and the time is, is done, and we don't know what will happen in the future. We'll probably see him again. We're hopeful too. He's doing pretty well, the doctor said. But it wasn't easy. Why? Why wasn't it easy? It might have been easy for Stephen, but it's never easy for me. I'm always thinking about the nurse is going to walk in the room when I'm saying something about Jesus. I'm always thinking about the man in the bed looking at me saying, you really believe this? You you drove all the way to Columbus to tell me this? Yes. I fear God, and I believe God is. And I will tell you this. But these are the crises of faith that we have everyday challenges coming at us where we look to God to make the impossible possible in our lives. Help my unbelief. Some of us have trouble being obedient with money. It's a test of our love for God. It's a test of our obedience to God. It's a test of our faith. It's a test of whether we believe in God. It is. Hebrews thirteen four says, or I'm sorry, five says, make sure that your character is free from love of money, being content with what you have. For He Himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. And listen to verse six. So we, so that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Why the fear of man connected with money there? So interesting. God is my helper. I won't be afraid. And we think these thoughts. Well, if I have enough left over, I'll give some to God. Or uh, even though all of the Scripture, God as He instructs His people about giving, He always talks about doing it first and gladly. So we take it off the top and we give it to God. And instead of that, we say, well, you know, I could do that, but I'll I'll just kind of hold that check back and I'll shuffle some things around because I'm not quite sure how things are going to pan out. And it really is a matter of our believing in God. A challenge to our faith. He says if we seek Him first, and His righteousness, He will add all these things to us. Do we believe what He says? Do we believe in Him? You could go on and on. We could talk about prayer. We could talk about studying His Word and applying it to our lives, to our families. We could talk about raising children. We could just go on and on and on with these things. These are the things that face us every day these challenges of faith where we must be obedient to God and there's the foundational challenge and I don't want to leave this morning without saying this the foundational challenge of believing in the gift of God of Jesus Christ to us for our salvation well do you believe God a lot of people believe God the man in the hospital bed believed in God Do you believe in His righteousness, that He's holy? Do you believe in His justice? Do you believe you're under His authority and that His justice and righteousness will impact your life at an exact moment in time when you will stand before Him to give an account? And I'm asking you this morning, do you believe that you will stand before God in judgment? And if you do, you might be thinking this morning, well, I'm better than most people. I said to the man in the hospital, well, you might think you're better than most people. He said, well, I don't think that. I said, well, you probably think you're better than some people. He said, well, yeah, I do that. Yeah. Guess what? It doesn't matter. Because God isn't going to judge you based on whether you're better than some people or most people. He's going to judge you based on His standard, which is absolute righteousness. And the only way that you'll stand in that day is to have faith in His Son that the righteousness of Jesus is applied to you. And your sin, your filth, is paid for by Jesus' work. That's the only way you'll stand under that judgment. Do you believe God? Do you believe in God? If you are here this morning and you do not believe what God has said concerning His Son, but you do believe in God, I would invite you to pray and ask God to give you the righteousness of Jesus and to forgive you for your sins. And if you'd like to talk with me more about that, I'd be glad to talk with you afterwards. And there are other men here who would talk with you if the elders you raise your hands you guys see these guys who are afraid to put their hands up if you'd like to talk with them about or others you might know somebody here you know who you could talk with about faith in Jesus Christ please do that don't leave don't leave this place having had a challenge of your faith and not do something about it I'd like to read in closing 1 John 5, 20 and 21. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Let's pray.